Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You're listening to the Irish Times Women's Podcast. I'm Roisin Ingle. Now, later on, Jennifer Ryan is going to be speaking to the Girls With Goals podcast presenter, Neve Marr, about a really interesting sex survey carried out by Her.ie and Ella One. They spoke to 18 to 24-year-olds about their sex habits and contraception. So stay tuned for that. But first, we've been bringing you interviews from the Brown Thomas Style Summit. And last week at one of the events, I met a very interesting woman called Violette, who is the global beauty director of Estee Lauder. But we had a conversation that went way beyond makeup, actually, but also obviously incorporated it too, because she has a new collection for Estee Lauder. She's somebody with true artistry chops and she's really made a name for herself in the beauty industry. She's a Parisian born makeup artist and she honed her skills on the sets of fashion editors with major photographers like Camilla Akrans and Patrick de Marchelier. She really doesn't subscribe to trends or rules and she believes instead that we need to forget the beauty codes and forget going after perfect beauty. She says she's anti-trend and pro-freedom of expression. I really liked this woman. She's she's really interesting. She's a lot to say about friendship and about making it in any industry and about really taking life into your own hands. She took a lot of risks and went beyond her comfort zone to get the job she has today. She's also very grateful for what she does too. So here she is, Violette. Violette, tell me about your childhood and where you grew up. So I grew up in Paris, um, really like the real purebred <laughs> Parisian. I mean, I'm, I have, my grandfather is Spanish and apparently we have some Russian blood too a long time ago. But yeah, raised in Paris. And what are your first memories of beauty style? Because I'd imagine growing up in Paris, like it's it's everywhere. I have never actually been to Paris, so I always feel if I, when I go there, I'm just going to be like, oh my god, everyone looks so perfect. But is it is it like that? Well, first of all, I wish you go there. I really hope you'll go. Uh, and it's true, to be honest, um, because the first memory I have is about these women coming to pick up their kids at school, but also the same women at the grocery store. And at work, and no matter where they go, they had like messy hair, naked skin, and incredible red lipstick. And to me, I was raised with this vision of woman, so it became the signature of a real woman, you know? So it was this effortless chic uh, that I found fabulous. And you got involved in art um, quite young, and as a child you were interested in drawing. So tell me about that and how that kind of fed into your beauty career. It's everything, actually. I started to study art. I was three. I had artistic parents, so they really put me to art school very, very young. 
And um, so I had a very, you know, when you're younger, you cannot really go to real school. So you go learn art with artists, which was actually my favorite because I also did the Louvre Museum School that was more an academic um, teaching where I learned how to draw naked men <laughs> on my paper, which was great. But Sorry, not when you were three. <laughs> I was not three. I was 16 then. Okay, even then. <laughs> well, you know, in France, you're young. It's a bit freer. <laughs> yes. So, but my favorite was, for example, when I, I learned in this vineyard in south of France with this couple of artists that were an incredible creative couple and they taught me how to create my own painting medium so with pigment uh, to mix it to create the painting that was the most amazing thing and then I also did a few I did one year of fashion design that helped me understand a little bit of the woman silhouette and I think both of them together really um, made who I am today as a makeup artist because I really become a makeup artist by a pure accident tell me about the accident the accident is a funny one. Um, I was 19, I think, and um, we were going with my friend to, a, how do you say, costumize party? Uh, we call it like a fancy dress party. Well, when you were, you're like a rabbit or... Yeah, that's what, in Ireland we call it a fancy dress party, but okay. in America they call it a costume party. Okay, okay, yeah, so... So fancy dress. Yes. And she was dressed as phantom mask, I think, and she wanted like a glitter mask. And she said, can you do this on me? I said, I never did makeup before. What do you want from me? Well, <laughs> come on, you're a painter. You know how to do. So I said, fine. And I did her mask. And I was like, this is amazing because it's like dressing up a face, which is what I was doing at this time, fashion design, and uh, painting a face. And I had to decide at that point of my life, am I going to pursue my studies in art or in fashion design? And that was it. I was like, you know what? I'm going to be a makeup artist for the fashion industry, but my own way. So I'm not going to assist anyone. I'm not going to go to makeup school. I'm going to paint um, like I learned. I'm going to see the lapses. I'm going to do makeup like I paint. So I had no money back then. And I flew to New York very young. I almost didn't speak English. And I had no money, so I had this very tiny suitcase that I still have at home to remember. And I bought pigments, cosmetic pigments, because if you have no money, but you want to be free to create whatever you want, if you have the medium, the base, then you can mix, make anything. So I was mixing my own, my own product on set. That's how I started. I had to knock on the doors of all mothers and agencies saying, Hi, I'm a French makeup artist. Can you hire me? But- Villa, you hadn't been to makeup school. Like no. you hadn't trained, and you were trying to get into these modeling agencies. You must have had some confidence. You know what it is? It's really weird. Um, in my professional life, I have absolutely no fear. It's like numb. It's like they they took away the fear chromosome. I'm so lucky. I must have an amazing fairy or something that took the chromosome of fear away from me. So it makes me just go for it. And I'm always like, well, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, whatever. So I really go. And I think when you, you have, I think fear is a terrible handicap for us women. And I have fear in my personal life, but not in my professional. And I think when you present yourself with a very fresh attitude, with no fear and like no ego, if they say no to you, it's fine. It's your freedom. I just want to ask if it's okay to hire me. It's surprise. You will be so surprised to see what's going to happen. And um, so, tell me about your breaks then, and how you got into it, and what 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 jobs in your early career actually made you. 
Yeah, so um, I got lucky because when I I came back to France, I think yeah a year later, um, I again no fear. I went to makeup agency. Like, what do you mean? Who are you? You never assisted anyone. You have a very creative book. Um, we don't know what to do with you. You're very young, and um, and I think. The agent I saw then was very amused with my attitude and said, okay, you know what? I'm going to give you a, t- a shot. And actually, one of my first clients, and I think that was luck, and I always consider luck to be a sign that you're on a good path, um, was American Vogue for a very small story in it. But I was like, see, that's that's a sign. Maybe I should, you know, keep going. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, in Paris, it's small, so people started to talk because also... I was one of the only really, I mean, not the only, but f- one of the few women makeup artists in Paris. It's interesting, isn't it? You just forget how many men uh, dominate that industry in terms of makeup and design. It's kind of crazy. And it's not like I, I started 14 years ago. So it's not like it was 30 years ago. And you know what? It was actually really difficult because I had so much trouble. Um, because I was from fashion design, so I was always wearing heels or, you know, I really took care of myself. I had red lipstick, nice hair. I will always pay attention when I will come on set. And I had so much trouble from other women for being like this. And they told me, you're not the model, you're not the stylist, you're not, like, you can't wear this. You, know, you need to be humble in front of the talent. And I remember saying, if this job doesn't accept me like this, then I'll change my job. It's totally no big deal for me. But you know what? I feel like if I was a client or a talent, I would want to be inspired by the makeup artist. And I'd be like, you know what? I love your aesthetic. I can see your aesthetic right now. Let's have a discussion on what to do. I trust you. But I feel like we would not not say that to a man coming on set being too chic I don't see that we will have said you'll be too chic you need to stay humble in front of the talent yeah, it's totally sexist isn't it it was absolutely sexist and it really made me angry so I was coming even more chic on set <laughs> <laughs> so you dialed up the glamour <laughs> yeah I was like no you don't tell me what I'm a woman I'm so lucky to be a woman I need to celebrate my <laughs> femininity I'm using fashion and makeup to do this and let me do it that way and that actually started to have people talk around, I guess, because I was the only girl showing up so young on set wearing heels and red lipstick. And um, I got lucky because Karine Watfeld from French Vogue at that time heard of me. And when I called to get an appointment, which was, again, another weird <laughs> thing I did, she gave me the appointment. And she was my good fairy because she, I mean, honestly, my book back then was kind of a very weird very weird creative thing and she saw something and she said you need to be an art director of your shoot so do five stories for me where you're going to art direct everything and as test and I'm going to see who you are I mean that's amazing to take the time to tell a younger artist do that for me because I'm going to be able to see how I can help you so I took this as the most incredible opportunity I had in my life and I did it and I drop I print everything I cast 120 models, I only work with young models, only decided to work with young photographers, I decided to work without any retouch. Back then it was the opposite, it was a style of very glossy, you know, pictures. So it was really against everything that we saw, and I gave it to her, and she was so happy, she featured me in French Vogue right away, called me the new face of fashion, and that was my biggest luck, because 
once I had the Karin Wildfeld stamp approval, then other people trusted me. But before it was not this. But what's really interesting, Violet, is that you did all that on your own terms and that the reason you got that break and that opportunity was because you were doing your own thing. I think there's a real lesson in that too. Yes, I guess you, you, you're right. I always say that um, I, always, I still have a plan B for my career because I feel like if I put every hope I have to express myself and to succeed in one uh, area, you know, you put too much of yourself and then you're frustrated when it doesn't go that way. The fact that I have a plan B and a plan C for a job, even still today, makes me much more free to do what I want, thinking if it doesn't work, it's fine, I'll do something else. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking about sexism there and your industry is very challenging on lots of levels and any sort of industry where there's where it's based on how you look and all those kind of things how have you felt about the whole me too thing and all that the women speaking about um, all this stuff what's your take on it so there is two things i think about the first thing was um it was a very emotional time for me and i'm so grateful that i i moved to new york a, f- a little bit before it happened because I got so much more educated. I think we're absolutely incredibly um, lucky in France um, to to be in a world that is not as, you know, hard for women that it is elsewhere. I think we were really extremely lucky. So when I moved to New York, I got educated because when Trump got elected, it was really after I moved. I, it's the first time I cried for politics, to be honest. I remember the next day uh, New York was... It was gray, raining. Everybody was crying in stores. It was insane. And I got very emotional because I saw all these women raising together. And then the Me Too movement happened. And I saw solidarity. Because when I started my work, women were not friends. They were enemies. And then I saw these enemies become the best friend and the best support for each other. And to me, that was incredible. I must say... So I fight for this cause a lot, and um, and I'm still shocked that today in our era we're not equal with salaries or jobs. I must say that I've been um, the only thing is I've been saved by men in my life. So and I have an incredible uh, boyfriend today, and and I have two dads that are incredible. So I just um, I just also always want to say there is men out there that support women in such a magical way that makes us even more women than when we're without them. I was looking at this video today of 14 men outside the court in um, the Senate uh, when the Brett Kavanaugh thing is happening and they're just standing there saying, I believe women, believe survivors. And it's so moving to watch them. I think you're right. There's so many men who want to come along with women on this. And they're genuine. And, and you know, my, my ex-partner was um, struggling with me being so much into my career and working and traveling so much and had terrible discussion with his friends telling me are you going to stop working when you have kids and stuff that sh- I, mean, I left restaurants many times because of this and um, it was it was it made me very angry and today I have a boyfriend and I'm always kind of scared like he scarred me a little you know I'm like it's okay I'm going to be out for a month and he's like I'm so excited for you that's awesome and he's the number one supporter and I'm like are you sure we're going to be fine he's like we'll always figure it out do whatever feels good to you I'm your number one fan Oh, brilliant. He sounds, definitely keep him. He sounds yes. like a keeper. So listen, let's talk about Estee Lauder. You're the global beauty director. Um, was that, getting that job, it must have been a huge deal for you. Yeah. You know, I had to think, okay, what's happening? <laughs> you need to understand what's happening because I never congratulate myself. 
I never take the time to say, hey, you did great. I never think of those things. But for this one, I was like, okay, hold on a minute. And that's actually my boyfriend who told me this. I remember when I launched my first collection, I arrived to London and I had this huge bouquet of flowers in my room and the notes were saying, my love, I want you to sit down on the bed and I want you to realize where you are. That's incredible. I'm so proud of you. And then I sat down with the card and I was like, he's right. I should sit down for a minute and I realized. So I'm really grateful because... I'm a French woman coming in the United States and now I'm able to work for an American brand that is an amazing company. But the most important thing is this company was created by a woman in an era where it was impossible for a woman to create a business. So she's a pretty big inspiration to me, Madame Estée Lauder. <laughs> and tell me about your collection for Estée Lauder, because it's really inspired by, again, you just spoke about it, your artistic sensibility, because that's where you come from and that's where your creativity was born, really. Yeah, but actually, um, this collection is the most feminist collection I ever did. Ah, <laughs> this collection is called La Dangereuse, who means, who, what means is um, the dangerous woman. And I was very inspired by um, the power we have within us. I think a woman is the strongest creature on this planet. And I wanted to uh, be inspired by this in a, in a creative way because I think makeup and beauty is actually very much more deep than what we think. And uh, I got inspired and I created a character. I created this woman from the 30s in Italy. She will be fantastic, gorgeous. She will live in this incredible mansion. But she will have no husband because she doesn't need one. <laughs> And from this creature, I imagine, I started to think of her clothes, of her curtains, and then I order samples from um, factories in Italy and France, and I match the eyeshadows I create for this collection with the fabrics I ordered. So that was a very fun um, woman women inspired collection yeah, it sounds wonderful um, you're sitting here now with this I wish people could see it this beautiful blue um, eyeliner on it and your brown eyes so I'm going to ask you very trivial might trivial to some people but I just think can people with blue eyes because a lot of Irish people have the blue would you recommend that or do you think it's only when you have brown eyes you can go with that electric blue on your eye it's funny because we were in Manchester before to launch a collection and the collection has a blue palette and one of my fellow won uh, the contest to come and see me there and she has incredible blue eyes and she was like, oh, I love this blue palette, I wish I could wear it but I guess I can, I'm going to go with the burgundy one which is the other palette and I say, hold on, <laughs> let me show you something I don't know why people told you and you're not the only one that you cannot wear blue when you have blue eyes and I put on her uh, one of the deepest blue we have in the, the palette because they're very like deep blue and her blue looked like transparent, like mm. incredible. The colors were work by contrast. So you, the blue of your of your eyeshadow is never going to be a, the same blue as your eyes. So it's going to contrast with your own blue, and that's going to push it. So actually, yes. Okay. I have very another very important question to ask you. So say your whole makeup collection gets lost, all your bags, everything, and you have this really big night out, but you're only allowed to buy three things. <laughs> what are the things do you think are actually essential and that can transform and give you that confidence that makeup gives women? Um, you know what? I think glitter is an incredible... I love that you said glitter. Like, I just thought you imagined you would definitely just say a, a lipstick or something. Yeah, yeah because... 
glitter is this vavavoom touch that will make you feel I don't know it has something all I mean I don't want to be cliche but girls we love things that shines it's like something it's like because I think we like magic and there's something magical in this so for example in the collection you have this um, deep burgundy foil liquid lipstick you put this on and then I created a glitter a copper glitter you grab the glitter with your finger and you pat it on top of your lipstick like, I, then I'll ask you how you feel. You want to tell me? I'm feeling myself right now. Um, and you're also sitting here with these incredible trousers. And again, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll tweet a picture of it so people can see. But um, they're sequined, giant, big silver sequins on yeah. your trousers. Actually, Violet, there's not many people who get away with that. <laughs> Well, we have the brunch this morning with um, some guests to present the collection. And I told my stylist to help me to find nice pieces like this. I said, you know what? I want to wear this Margiela glitter pants because why not for brunch? (laughs) You know, I feel like I hate rules. So I always say to women, wear whatever makes you feel incredible. And why I love to, to... Put something out of context, like a disco pants for brunch. Why not? <laughs> okay, well, what about um, just before I let you go, because you're going to do the style so much here in Brand Thomas. What do you think women, you wish women knew about makeup that sometimes you think, we talked about one myth about blue, blue eye, people can't wear blue eyeshadow, but what are the other things you think that people should forget and stop listening to? There's a lot of things that we're told and you can't yeah. do this, you can't do that. So what are the ones that really annoy you and that you want to get rid of? When the one thing is, um, and it's because it, it came from a trend, I think, in America, this Instagram makeup, I want to say to women, don't use makeup as um, a way to change yourself. My, my goal for you is to accept who you are, however you look like. I'm really lucky because in France, you're educated and raised where, where we tell you, if a guy or girl doesn't think you're beautiful, it's amazing. You, it's great you know because you can, it's like cleaning the road. You don't need this person in your path. So it's not a bad thing. Don't take it that way. It's a good indication that this person is toxic for you, or not good for you at least. And um, I want to say that, like, I don't want you to remove your makeup and remember how you look like, because you should never forget how you look like. And how are you supposed to learn to love yourself if you're hiding yourself from you? So wear makeup as a way to express yourself, celebrate the wonderful man or woman you are, and use it not as an aesthetic way, but more like a creative way. You know, when you wake up in the morning, you feel a bit de- like depressed or weak and you have this incredible job meeting, you put some red lipstick on and you're going to feel different. That's how you should use makeup. Well, listen, I find you very inspiring just sitting here talking to you. And I think you're the way that you come from left field and you do your own thing and you encourage other people to do their own thing is, is really great. So thank you very thank much you. for talking to us on the Women's Podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. That was Violette there and I have to say I could have talked to her for ages. She's a great woman and worth looking out for on the beauty circuit. And now it's time to talk about sex. We have the details of a very interesting sex survey and Neve Marr from the Girls With Goals podcast came in to tell Jennifer Ryan all about the results. Neve Marr, you are the presenter of the excellent Girls With Goals podcast over at her.ie. You are very welcome to the Women's Podcast Studio. I'm so delighted to be here. Big fan. It's an interesting one. I always kind of, we we talk about podcasts a lot on the podcast Mm -hmm. and we always say, you know, it's not about 
tearing down other podcasts and, and you know, talking about other people's podcasts. But I think a women's podcast is an amazing thing. So yeah. I have absolutely no problem in saying that I'm a fan and I listen to your podcast and I think it's great. Why you're here yeah. is you're going to talk to us about this research that was carried out by Her.ie yeah. and Ella won and it's about sex. Yeah, it's a survey a, about sex. And there were over 2,000 responses to it among 18 to 24 year olds was it all women or men too? No, it was men too. Um, and I think that was kind of important. I think the the thing, why we wanted to do this in partnership with Ella One was, was very much about kind of talking to young people about maybe a topic that is still deemed slightly uncomfortable to talk about. And, you know, we did the research, like you said, we had over 2,000 respondents, which is a really incredible nice little chunk of research for this particular representative exactly for this particular age group and uh, 18 to 24 was was definitely what we were trying to find out about and it was in particular about contraception and contraceptive failure and learning about the risks I think was really important so the the Ella One campaign is is definitely um, about risky business and kind of trying to equate what young people think of as risky and from the research that we discovered from our readers of her.ie was that, you know, um, over half of the people surveyed think that it is risky to have unprotected sex. Okay, well, let's get let's get into those. Yeah. First of all, what does the survey tell us about overall attitudes towards unprotected sex in Ireland? Is everybody going around like a good Ashling doubling up? No. The funny thing is, is that the research is, is, is kind of an oxymoron because what we've discovered is that a huge portion of people do think that it's risky and they know the risks attached to having unprotected sex. And they also know the risks about if there is contraceptive failure. But interestingly, they still do it. So they still have unprotected sex and actually kind of a, an interesting figure of people would have it quite frequently. And so what I think is the interesting thing from the research is definitely about where the information is coming from. So the education, it really does seem to come back to the education. And then we went out with the research that we gathered and we we spoke to young people in Dublin and Cork and Galway and Limerick about this research. And what we found is that they're not surprised by the fact that over half of young people are having unprotected sex. And so, you know, we were quite surprised about that. You know, the figure is kind of... I am too, actually. 56%. Of, what, what, kind of, what kind of reasons were given for that? Because that's quite a high percentage, 56%. Was yeah. it that they're, they, they just don't use contraception every time? Or was it just like getting caught up in the moment, the passion that 18 to 24 year olds are <laughs> rimming with? Um, I, I suppose the thing is, is that... I don't know, like we didn't get into the, the passion element of it, um, <laughs> although that, that could be um, that could be our, our next survey. Um, but I think a lot of it was to do with contraceptive failure. So I don't okay. think that people are saying that they're running around having unprotected mm. sex, um, but a huge portion of them are experiencing contraceptive failure. And then it's the next steps after that. So we wanted to kind of find out, you know, why people might not go and get the morning after pill or what their initial reaction is to contraceptive failure. And what we did find was that a lot of them are kind of, well, a lot of them are getting the morning after pill once, but then if it happens again, they're not getting it again and they're admitting to that. So it's it's a weird kind of 
I think maybe it's a cultural thing where people are like, you know, I got the morning after pill once, I didn't get pregnant, so maybe I won't get pregnant this time. And a lot of them are leaving it up to chance. I think there's some embarrassment to do with as well or a bit of shame. Absolutely. I mean, we could even see that from going out on the streets and, and asking people who didn't take the survey. You know, we were bringing the research to them and we were, you know, asking people on the street about sex and about, you know, contraceptive failure and about the morning after pill. And it's not the happy-go-lucky vox pops that you're doing where you're asking them about the weekend. It is still very much a taboo subject. And I think a lot of that can be brought back to myths that are still associated with the morning after pill. So things like you can't take it more than three times or you'll become infertile, which is just not true. Mm. Like it's that's not true. And I don't know where these myths have started. But again, I think a lot of it comes from education. Like one one person that we spoke to in Cork said that she got a little bit of, of sexual education when she was in primary school. She got none in secondary school and she got a lot of it from friends. A guy that we spoke to said he learned from friends and from porn. So, I mean, I think it's one of those things that it's still not talked about a lot. And I think, like, I, I went to an all-girls Catholic school and I didn't get sex education. Yeah, I got same. I got family planning. Mm-hmm. So I was told there was nothing about STIs and that was something that came up as well. We asked people, what is your fear if you have unprotected sex and they said unplanned pregnancy and STIs and I was never taught about STIs in school. I was never talked about the fact that, well, contraception just wasn't mentioned. Mm-hmm. Just at, don't have sex. Just don't have a good sex. Catholic girl and don't have sex. Exactly. And if you do have sex, you will have a baby. So it didn't matter mm-hmm. that I was 16 and being told this. It was like, if you're going to have sex, you're, you're planning a family. So now I know that was a while ago and I'm older than the people who were involved Not in, that this, old, Neve. in this research. <laughs> a little bit older. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's still, it was shocking to me that I was talking to 19, 20, 21 year old women and men who still said that there was a huge lack of sex education in this country. Like It, it was, is it is a yeah. huge problem and it came up a lot around the uh, referendum Absolutely. to repeal the Eighth Amendment. There was a lot of talk about how education is mm. such a key part of if we're going to progress, yeah. then it needs to start from educating kids from a very young age yeah. and especially at a time when porn is so readily available. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember the exact figures, but figures from um, CyberSafe Ireland, which say that kids as young as like nine and ten are accessing porn online. So, yeah, it's something we really have to be aware of. Um, so I'm interested to know what it was like talking to people on the street, because as you say, it's it wasn't like your happy go lucky mm. normal Vox Pop, which were, uh, you know, you and I worked in a newsroom together. Yeah. Vox Pops are the worst thing ever to have to do. Yeah, I don't know when it's going to change, Jennifer, because they're the absolute worst things to they do, are. but they make the best content. They really they do, do. They do because they do. Uh, well, people see a mic and they, some of them can cross the road. Yeah. But how did you get people to talk to you about sex on yeah. the street in Cork, Galway and wherever else Well, to do this, this is it. Like, we wanted to go out and, you know, we're going to be releasing this research on the podcast and running editorials on Her.E as well. And we had a reporter, Orla Condon, who works for us, go out and kind of talk to people. And I was there as well. Um, just to kind of try and gather people and like tell them that this is what we're going to be them. About. Exactly. Um, which is a tough job as well. Um, some people were very open about it. And then some people mentioned their parents, you know, and said, oh, I definitely can't be talking about sex on, on camera when, you know, my parents will see this and they'll kill me and, and stuff like this. But, you know, I, I understand that. And then the people who did speak to us were open about it. And again, kind of back to the research, they weren't surprised by the fact that a lot of people are 
um, having unprote- unprotected sex or that a lot of people are, are cautious about, say, talking about the morning after pills. So it was it was kind of a mixed bag. Obviously, we were trying to get that age range from 18 to 24. So, you know, we were making sure that they were comfortable to talk about it. But again, we like to talk about things on the podcast. I suppose we call them like the water cooler moments, but that necessarily aren't talked about because like I don't know about you but I've taken the morning after pill in the past before and I haven't gone in and and said to people then in the office oh you know I just have to run down to the chemist and get the morning after pill and I'm not saying that that is something that we want to achieve but I we should we shouldn't we shouldn't feel that you know and I've been in chemists it's a shameful secret absolutely you know I've been in chemists and you know I've seen Rose from down the street and Mm. she's in and she's talking and then I'm talking to her and you know we're not talking about what we're picking up from the pharmacy Mm. but there is still a level and I'm almost ashamed to admit that I feel that shame but it's there and there's nothing I can do about it and I've definitely been like I wonder if you know they've thought about it and that's what we're trying to kind of talk about with this research we're trying to let you know young people know that there's absolutely nothing shameful about the fact that if you've had sex with somebody and you're not prepared to become a parent or to have a a new life brought into this world and there's absolutely nothing wrong with going and speaking to your pharmacist and getting the morning after pill. It is not what has been thrown around before in the media. It's not an abortion. It's There's nothing wrong with taking it. It's not going to make you infertile. It shouldn't be used as a form of contraception as well. And they say that, like companies like Ella mm. One do say that. They say that it's not a form of contraception, but it's there. It's available. Your pharmacists, I guarantee, are talking to people about weirder things in that day. So don't feel shame about it. And that's what I think we wanted to do. And talking to young people like on the streets, like I think that after we had the conversations, a lot of them were a bit more chilled about it. You know, a lot of them were like, okay, that actually wasn't as bad as maybe I I thought it was going to be. So that's good. And I think like doing these kinds of things and and conducting this kind of research really does give a nice little insight into it because, you know, you and I are in the media, we're talking about these kind of things. We're in a position where we, we have a platform to discuss these things. But I think it's really interesting to see that these things are still very much taboo. And I think talking about them is, is kind of the only way that it's going to not be. I'm interested to know if, if there was a divergence between male and female attitudes in the survey, because it seems to me that responsibility for contraception still falls primarily to the woman. And it sort of feels a, a, a more than a little unfair when there's like two or three days out of the month when a woman could potentially get pregnant, where men are walking around with loads of sperm in them ready to impregnate at yeah. the drop of a hat. So was there much of a difference between attitudes on male and female respondents? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. We spoke to like a couple actually um, and they didn't specify whether they had been together but uh, they were kind of they seemed to be a couple and they were both answering the questions um, independently of each other but they seemed to be both answering the same so I kind of deduced that they were a couple and they had maybe gone through this together um, you know and then we interviewed a few men on their own and, and like that I suppose they were coming at it from a different frame of mind in that you know a lot of the girls who, who said that they had experienced contraceptive failure we're talking about maybe being out on a night out and and like hooking up with someone which everybody's entitled to do but then the next day kind of running to their friends and talking about it and they're not in a relationship with that person so that person then the lad with the sperm is walking around probably getting a breakfast roll and maybe doesn't know that this girl had had contraceptive failure for a number of reasons it could have been to do with a lack of communication maybe she didn't want to tell him maybe she didn't want to talk to him again completely within her rights but we spoke to a few boys who did say 
you know, that it can be hard if you have, for example, a one night stand and you don't really know and you don't know what your role is to play in that situation as well. Because obviously, you know, in society, it's a woman's choice to do with her body what she wants. And I think sometimes men can be left out of a conversation mm. like this, which is not fair and which shouldn't happen. And I know that I've taken the morning after pill when I've been in relationships and likewise, I've taken the morning after pill when I haven't been in relationships. And it can be lonely when you're a girl just going into the pharmacy on your own and feeling a little bit of shame. And so I think like it's hard for me as a woman to say what men are feeling. But I do think that sometimes men can feel left out of important conversations like this, you know, important conversations about what happens if the condom breaks or what happens if, you know, a girl that you're with doesn't know whether the the sex was safe and 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 I think like it's important for that for there to be a really strong sense of education in order for men to be able to speak to be able to speak to their parents but interestingly you know we spoke to a couple of lads who said they got all their information off their parents and so they feel really well equipped to go out into the world of well, that's good parenting sex. well absolutely good parenting good parenting too <laughs> so but it is it's an interesting point and that's why I think we we did want to talk to men as well to kind of see where they were coming from Obviously, we work for her.ie, so our main focus is yeah. definitely like 86% female. Um, but I think, again, with that, like, and, and any men that we spoke to, like, thank you so much for kind of sharing this awkward, you know, yeah, conversation yeah, really that can mm. happen. But um, I think, again, it's just about talking about it. You know, there wasn't a huge difference. The men were just as uncomfortable as the women that we were talking to them about sex on a Tuesday afternoon in the city, you know, but like at the same time, they were really open and honest about situations that they've been in, which I think was really good. And they talked about their, you know, tricky situations that they've been in. And, and they've said, you know, that it's nice to maybe talk about it. But I mean, sometimes I think that that can be a bigger issue that I think men in particular you know, feel that they shouldn't have as much of of a right to talk about these kind of tougher topics, um, which I think, you know, accosting them with a microphone maybe might change that a little bit. So, um, but they were open and it was good to involve them, you mm -hmm. know, and I think it's an important part. You know, obviously, you know, it's a woman's uterus, but, you know, in order for... Uh, that they have a significant fail. role to They have play. a significant <laughs> role, you know. Theirs is the sperm, so they should be just as much a part of the conversation, I think. Absolutely. Okay, so this survey, uh, Neve, where can people find out more about it? And are those videos going to be yeah. at her.ie? So basically, um, the research was conducted a couple of months ago, so we've been compiling it. And then we took that research and we went out and we interviewed people. So it's going to be going out as part of the podcast, Girls With Goals. And then after that, we're going to be releasing videos across our social channels. So... Yeah, so like if you spoke to us with a microphone, you're probably going to be seeing your face on some of our social media channels. And then we're going to run editorials as well in, in correspondence with with the research because uh, it's important and we were really happy with the amount of people who took part in the survey and we think that it's a really important conversation to be having so we're really proud to kind of run it along with it and we like talking about sex on Girls With Goals like we like talking about those things that maybe are a little bit uncomfortable but that shouldn't be so that's kind of what we're trying to do with this research Absolutely it's all about normalising it Exactly Neve Marr from Girls With Goals and Her.ie Thank you very much for coming to the Women's Podcast Thank you so much for having me on that's it for the women's podcast for today. Thank you very much to Neve Marr and to Violet. We'll be bringing you more from the Brown Thomas Style Summit, so do stay tuned for that in coming episodes. 
The podcast is produced by myself, Roisin Ingle, and by Jennifer Ryan with JJ Vernon on sound. And remember, you can download us wherever you get your podcasts. And also, if you want to review us, we'd be really grateful. Just go to iTunes, say great things about us, and also tell all your friends that this is the podcast you like to listen to. I'm Roisin Ingle, and I'll talk to you next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.